So, what's up, Betamaxers? Welcome to episode 47 of Celluloid Fever Dreams. As always, I'm your host, Wyndham Jennings. Coming up on our uh, one-year anniversary, episode 49 will mark one year of uh, Celluloid Fever Dreams. I should probably do something special for it, but we both know I'm not going to. Uh, This week, we're kind of going back to our uh, Dollar Movie Find series. Uh, I found this one at a local Dollar Tree in a bin of uh, movies. I uh, I picked up a couple of them, uh, so I expect to revisit this topic in the future. Uh, I'm just going to be upfront with you. I had a hard time researching this one. Uh, my, my Google foo was not very strong, either, either that or just there wasn't a whole lot on it uh, for reasons that will become clear as we go along. Uh, I've managed to find a few reviews of it, but you know, they really didn't give a whole lot of clues into the making of it or uh, you know, the people responsible, the actors, actresses involved, etc. Uh, which is a shame because I actually genuinely liked this film. It's a Voodoo Apocalypse. It came out in uh, 2018, and it is uh, like um, Undercover Brother, which we talked about a uh, few episodes back in our uh, pastiche series of, of uh, films. It is a parody slash homage to the uh, Grindhouse films of the mid to late 70s. Uh, in this case, we're going with a... Um, revenge story a drug dealer kills a policeman's partner and he leaves the force goes into hiding and uh, five years later the drug dealer pops back up and the police detective comes back reclaims his badge and uh, gets his revenge on the man who killed his partner Uh, and like a lot of films from this era it takes a bizarre twist as it turns out the drug dealer uh, has become involved with the Haitian mob and has developed a pop song that will turn anyone who listens to it into a zombie. So now the mission has become not only to get revenge, but to stop the zombie apocalypse from destroying uh, the world. Now, if you're sitting there thinking that's a strange turn for a uh, film to take, going from you know crime story to supernatural, uh, there is actually precedent for it. The film Sugar Hill which was released in the uh, 70s. Hang on, let me check my notes. Re- released in 1974. Uh, features a, a woman, uh, Diana Sugar Hill, whose boyfriend is killed by mobsters after he refuses to sell them his nightclub. So she does what anyone would do. She gets revenge by using voodoo to raise an army of machete-wielding zombies in order to get revenge on the mob. Yeah, so uh, you know, this one doesn't really seem that out of place at this point. But um, Voodoo Apocalypse is done by someone uh, who knows these films. Like Black Dynamite, they get the uh, dialogue right, they get the uh, wardrobe right, the hairstyles. Um, yeah, there's so much of it. Even, um, you know, the, the, they put the special effects into the film so that it looks aged and degraded. You know, how older films have the uh, artifacts in them, the uh, you know, black spots that will appear, the slight faded spots, you know, things like that. Uh, you know, the, the pop sometimes, the audio, they, they managed to do all of this right. And in the research I was able to do on the film, I was actually surprised by how uh, small the budget of the movie is. The entire thing was filmed for 45,000 euros, which, uh, and I actually did the math because I was curious about this, that's $52,000, uh, which, which just kind of blew my mind after watching the movie that they managed to do all of this on such a small budget. Uh, but like I said, 
despite all this, despite the uh, the fact that it is you know an homage to the Grindhouse films, despite everything they they did right, it takes it an extra step further and goes into the weird territory because this is not an American-made film. It's a Spanish-made film. Uh, it was filmed uh, in Spain and in uh, parts of uh, the Canary Islands for a few of the scenes. It made its premiere in on uh, January 27th, 2018 at the Cutracan Film Festival uh, in Madrid. And the reason I say this is the extra step to it being a little weird and, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is because everyone in the film still speaks English. And for most of the cast, you can tell this is obviously... Um, you know, a language they're they're fluent in, like a second language, uh, you know, because of the cadence that they use, the uh, speech patterns they use, everybody except for the police lieutenant. Uh, his delivery, yeah, I, I don't know if it was a directorial choice. Like I said, I wasn't really able to find anything behind the scenes uh, about this film other than, like I said, some of the reviews, and they just sort of repeated the same information over and over. But, uh, yeah, the police lieutenant that our, our uh, two protagonists report to, like I don't know if it was a directorial choice, I don't know if it was an actor choice, uh, or I don't know if he just wasn't uh, as comfortable speaking English as the rest of the cast, but he has a really weird cadence to his voice, uh, an unusual rhythm. Uh, some of the words, he, the way he pronounces them, he'll get loud at seemingly random points in, the, uh, in his dialogue. Uh, it, it's a funny performance. I'll give him that. I really enjoy, like I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed uh, the whole movie. Uh, but yeah, he he's the one member of the cast that kind of throws uh, the rest of it off. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if throws the rest of it off is correct or not. He's he's the one who's uh, the most noticeable uh, in their performance. Uh, like I said, his delivery is so uh, odd compared to everyone else's. And like a ninety, say ninety percent of the film is in English. Uh, the opening sequence, whereupon rookie cop White Chocolate is sent to Mexico to find uh, Johnny Vargas, the uh, cop who they need to come back. No, uh, sorry, Charlie Vargas is sent to Mexico to find Charlie Vargas, who needs to come back to help them take down the uh, criminal overlord Jimmy Vanilla. Uh, that whole sequence where he uh, first goes to a bar to hunt for him only to discover he's been working for the past five years as a, a Lucha Libre wrestler, uh, wearing what, if I'm correct, is the uh, Nacho Libre mask, uh, or at least a very good copy of it, from the uh, Jack Black film from several years ago. But uh, that whole sequence is in Spanish. And uh, then you find out that White Chocolate is uh, from an Italian family. He's Italian-American, and he's the only member of his family that speaks English. That whole sequence where uh, him and Vargas go to eat dinner with his family uh, his family speaks nothing but Italian for the entire sequence oh and uh, later on when uh, Vargas and uh, White Chocolate discover they have to become Kung Fu masters so that they can uh, w properly wield the only sword that can kill uh, Jimmy Vanilla and stop the zombie apocalypse uh, their Kung Fu master speaks um, I think Chinese yeah, and to me, this is such a weird uh, <laughs> thing. The fact that they, you know, uh, uh, some people from Spain shot a parody of the uh, you know American grindhouse style uh, police pictures from the seventies, 
and did it all in English. You know, they didn't do it in Spanish, released it in Spain. Uh, and it was so popular. This is, I, I mean, I'm not sure exactly. Like, I couldn't really find a uh, box office on it. But they did a miniseries slash sequel to it, a TV miniseries, a few years later. Uh, and I'm really hoping I can stumble across a copy of this because the TV sequel is titled Paul Kersey and White Chocolate versus the Kung Fu Robotic Mafia. And yeah, if, if you've listened to the podcast at all, you understand all I need sometimes is a good title or a weird or I guess a, a, a plot summary that grabs my attention and I'm all in. I just want to see the film. Like I said, reading the back of this one about you know, policeman out for revenge, uh, to, you know, to avenge the death of his partner. And he has to take on a, a voodoo wielding drug dealer. Who's trying to raise a zombie army through rock music. Uh, I had to watch it. And then, then come to find out, like I said, it's a Spanish production. These people are all speaking, you know, doing an entire film, uh, in a second language. And it actually got me to care, got me curious and I looked and uh, you know tried to find other examples. Uh, even went to a couple of sites I go go to uh, talking about movies and and uh, you know read it in a couple of places, looking for other examples of this, and only come across two other examples. So three films wherein uh, the main cast speaks in a second language, not their native tongue. You got this one, Voodoo Apocalypse from two thousand eighteen. You've got uh, Casa de Mi, de Mi Padre, which is a Will Ferrell film from, I think, 2012. And then you've got a Takashi Miike uh, Western slash Samurai film, uh, Sukiyaki Western Django, which, uh, you know, everyone in it speaks English, despite being a uh, predominantly Asian, well, yeah, predominantly Asian cast. I think Quentin Tarantino has a small role in it. I hadn't seen the film. I looked the trailer up. Uh, I definitely want to check it out, though. It looks really, really well. And I've, I've sort of come into uh, uh, Mike a little late. He's been doing films for years. Uh, a couple of my friends really like his films. I've only seen a couple of his films. Um, I saw uh, it on Hulu a few years ago, Blood of the Immortal, which is based on an anime of the same name, um, which it's an immortal samurai who has to kill... I believe it's a thousand wicked men before he'll be allowed to die. And he doesn't really have a fast healing ability like Deadpool, but he can't die. And throughout the film, he just takes all these horrible injuries and he just keeps fighting. Uh, but it's still, I think it's a really good film. If you can uh, stomach the blood is one I would recommend checking out. Uh, and if you're a Mike fan, and you haven't seen it is one I would, I would uh, check out. Like I said, just seen the trailer for Sukiyaki Western Django. I want to check it out. Uh, and, and watching the trailer for Casa de Mi Padre, I kind of want to see it too. It's uh, in, in case you're wondering, the plot summary it is uh, Will Ferrell trying to save his family ranch from uh, uh, the mafia, the Mexican mafia. Uh, and, and the trailer paints it as uh, you know, one of the uh, more overblown uh, telenovela type stories. Uh, and I kind of want to see it too. I just want to, I, I remember kind of seeing the, the uh, box art somewhere, but I didn't really know what it was about. Uh, but like Voodoo Apocalypse, these two just sort of fit right up my alley, just you know, peaking my interest enough. I want to want to check them out, and a lot of films are like that. You know, the, you don't really need to give me a huge summary. Uh, you know, like I said, just the title of the sequel to this one, Paul Kersey and White Chocolate versus the 
Kung Fu Robotic Mafia. Uh, you know, kind of reminds me of the teaser at the end of uh, Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension when it was like, Buckaroo will be back and it's uh, Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime Syndicate. I still want to see that movie. I want to want to see uh, I want to see another Buckaroo Banzai movie. I, actually, I love that film. Uh, so yeah, I'm easy. I'm easy like Sunday morning when it comes to films. Just give me a good title. You know, give me a, a a punchy little plot summary. You know, Nazis on the moon. All right, I'm there. Uh, it's a zombie virus, but you also turn into a beaver. Yeah, I'm there. He's a drunken cop, but he's a werewolf too. Yep. Uh, giant robots versus monsters. Yeah, okay. Uh, Leonard Nimoy's a psychic race car driver who solves. Uh, ghostly and, and uh, paranormal mysteries. Yeah, all right, let's watch this. Uh, so yeah, Voodoo Apocalypse and these other two films are uh, yeah, easy sales for me. Uh, in, in fact, you know, actually, I said these are the only other two films. The I can actually think of one more, uh, and just off the top of my head, it's uh, William Shatner, and it is The Incubus, if I remember correctly. It came out in the 60s, and the entire film is... Uh, uh, the uh, all of the uh, dialogue in the film is uh, in Esperanto. That's not one I've seen trailers and clips from it. That's not really one I want to check out. Uh, Voodoo Apocalypse are written and directed by uh, Vasni Ramos. Uh, he's also been a producer for such films as Bunker Project Twelve, El Clan, uh, El Margen de la Re- oh, Sorry, El Margen de la Ley which I believe is uh, outside the law, if I'm, if uh, the English title is correct. Uh, in case you're wondering, I took French for four years in high school, and that was 30-plus years ago. So, yeah, I'm not really good with some of these pronunciations. The uh, co-writer was uh, Jose J. Romalo, who is also Charlie Vargas, who is uh, one of our leads, and the, he's the uh, older cop who's seeking revenge for the death of his partner. And... Also got tangled up while he's in Mexico with the Lucha Libre Mafia. So while trying to track down uh, uh, Johnny Vanilla, I mean Jimmy Vanilla, he's uh, also on the run from the uh, Lucha Libre Mafia who want their money. Uh, And I cannot find any other credits for him on uh, IMDb besides uh, the uh, Voodoo Apocalypse and its sequel, uh, the Kung Fu Robotic Mafia film. Uh, Sergio G. Ramos is a rookie cop, uh, white chocolate, and he's so-called because he is A, white, and B, delicious. His words, not mine. The uh, tough female cop, Kowalski, is played by Raquel Rial. She hasn't done a lot of acting. Well, she's been involved in several films, but she's uh, never really been in front of the camera as an actress a whole lot. She's mainly, most of her credits are a stunt performer or stunt coordinator. And she's done films like uh, Operation Golden Shell, uh, the Netflix TV series Warrior Nun. She was a stunt driver in the Rambo Last Blood movie, which came out, uh, what was it, last year, two years ago? Uh, she's also a stunt coordinator for, and I had to, had to include this one just because, again, great title. So My Grandma's a Lesbian. And in this film, she's actually Charlie Vargas's uh, stunt double. And if you're sitting there thinking they had a $52,000 budget, how many how many stunts could there be in the film? There's a car chase, and in one uh, sequence, Charlie Vargas climbs out of the car, climbs up on the roof, and jumps from one car to the other as they're going down the road. And uh, yeah, that's Raquel in Charlie's outfit and a bad wig and mustache. 
and and that's kind of the beauty of it too. I, I, I mentioned that they've parodied these films, but they do it in the way of something like Black Dynamite, and that it is a parody, but it's also stuff that is in those films if you go back and watch them. The obvious stunt doubles, uh, you know, when Charlie and uh, White Chocolate are chasing one of their suspects. Well, some not a suspect, somebody that ha- they believe has information on Jimmy Vanilla. He's a older gentleman in all the close-up shots, and when they're chasing after him, he's very obviously a much younger, uh, taller, uh, very fit young man capable of uh, some very impressive parkour maneuvers as he's trying to get away from them in the foot chase. The uh, lieutenant, who is, of course, trying to keep our rogue cop on a mission in line, Lieutenant Blackman, is played by uh, Jorge Galvin. And this and the sequel to this is the only uh, acting credits I could find for him. The uh, villain, Jimmy Vanilla, is Victor Hubara. And other than this, he's uh, on the television series uh, Grasa. And of course, if you have a dead partner, the dead partner's also probably got to have a kid that our hero was supposed to take care of before he ran away to Mexico. In this case, uh, Claire, who was played by Carla Barrico who has been in the films uh, Derrico uh, Sonar and Palabras, La Bienvenida. Uh, in fact, one of the subplots of the film is uh, Charlie trying to make up for the fact that he abandoned Claire only to come back after five years missing to find out that she's grown up with a career of her own and uh, matured into a very attractive young woman. So he's trying to apologize to her and simultaneously pick her up at the same time. And it does not go well. You know, in fact, I want to talk about that. They, they, like I said, I, I love that they got so much right about the Grindhouse film. But I also like the fact that they went uh, like Black Dynamite. I know I keep comparing it to that, even though this film isn't, in my opinion, it's not as good as Black Dynamite. But uh, they also make him, uh, make Charlie a little, little bit goofy. There are shades of uh, Leslie Nielsen's, uh, you know, police, you know, not Police Academy, good Lord. Naked Gun films, police story films, police, the police story uh, TV series. You know, he's kind of bumbling uh, when he finds out they need to become kung fu masters. He's like, oh, I know kung fu, and he keeps getting slapped whenever he says that. Uh, you know, like his, his inept uh, attempts to pick up Claire uh, in the shootout that happens where his partner gets killed. Uh, yeah, he gets off some amazing shots, but he's incredibly goofy uh, messing, around, messing around with the gun in the bathroom beforehand. You know, so the the film is a, a loving send up of the uh, police grindhouse movies, and at the same time, their uh, main main uh, their big hero is also kind of a bumbling idiot. Uh, in fact, it's so close. I was kind of disappointed, and I don't know. They may have avoided it, or they may have just thought it was too cliche. I was disappointed. There's no boom mic shots in the film. I was kind of expecting it, you know, given, uh, you know, the era and, and uh, you know, given it showed up in other films. Um, I mean, but they chose not to do it. And I don't know whether to applaud them for not using the trope or, or like I said, just be disappointed that they did not do that. I mean, really? You didn't cast it and do one boom shot, one crew member accidentally caught in the, uh, in the frame, anything like that? Nothing? Nothing? Okay. I want to talk a little bit about the music in the film. Obviously, for the budget they had, they couldn't license any songs from the era, but the original music they use is just spot on. It would fit 
in that era. Uh, it would fit in films from that era. I really genuinely love the theme song of the movie. You know, it, it is the horns, the uh, bass line of it, everything is just, you, know, you, you can tell they've done the research. They, they did the work to make it fit in. It's just perfect. Uh, having said that, I do have problems with some of the music in the film, uh, particularly the uplifting training montage song. Uh, there's some questionable lyrics in it. Uh, hey, hang on a second. Let me, let me get my notes out so I, so I can. Because when I first heard it, I actually had to run, run it back a little bit to make sure I was hearing some of the lyrics right. Uh, I actually, I actually uh, wrote them down. This is, like, this is the training montage as they're learning to become Kung Fu masters. This is the uh, you know, inspirational song to go along with their training the chorus to it it's a when your time is up you've got to go there's a bullet in the gun that bullet's just for you can you feel it your time is running out you won't get a second chance everything is in your hands that bullet in the gun is just for you and this is over i, I wish i could get play the audio for it but i, I uh, can't quite get that to work i was kind of hoping i could for this episode but it, uh, this is played over, you know, like I said, the inspirational, like something you'd expect in like a Rocky training sequence, like that kind of song, uh, in a very happy, positive uh, uh, vocals. And, and it's just so jarring to hear it. Uh, <laughs> and I, I'm, I, I don't know. I, it made me laugh, but then there's part of me that's like, do they really get what they're saying or what kind of some of the implications of this is and maybe they do and that's part of the joke but uh you know or, or maybe they put it that way because they're racing against time before uh, jimmy vanilla can put on his concert and start converting people into zombies but uh, either way it just sort of come out of left field and uh took me by surprise so all right, so let's just get down to the nitty-gritty, nitty uh, in case you guys don't already know. It's time to ask the most important question of all. Uh, was it entertaining? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I've got to say, like, uh, George of the Jungle or um, you know, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies or, or even Black Dynamite, this is kind of an all-in movie. Uh, if hearing me describe the plot, if uh, hearing me talk about it makes you think, oh, yes, I have to see this movie, then, yeah, you're probably going to enjoy it. Uh, like I said, this is one I feel is probably going to be pretty divisive. You're either going to love it or hate it. Uh, me personally, I, I really liked it. I want to see the TV sequel. I, I want to see more from these guys. Uh, you know, I try to try to seek them out and see what, see if they've done other stuff, maybe some stuff on YouTube or, or, uh, ex, you know, some other things. Cause I liked their style of humor. Uh, you know, like I said, it fell in line with, um, not only Black Dynamite, but it had shades of uh, you know Leslie Nielsen's uh, Naked Gun and Police Story, which is you know of course the Zuckermans, uh, you know who've also done Airplane and um, you know Top Secret and you know, films of of uh, that ilk. Uh, and like I said, for a dollar, uh, you know, I paid a dollar and got a Blu-ray copy of this film, uh, and yeah, I got more than a dollar's enjoyment out of it. I will go back and watch this one again. Yeah, it, and it's amazing just to see what they were able to pull off with the budget they had. Uh, you know, the level of, you, you can tell this is done by people who, you know, 
love the genre, love these type of films. They they put in the work, did everything to to uh, match it up, and then make it even just a little bit more ridiculous than the actual films were. Uh, I, yeah, I got to recommend it. It is an entertaining film. It's one that you should probably you should add to your watch list if you come across it. Especially if you come across it uh, in like a thrift store or a Dollar Tree or something. It is worth the money to get it and watch it. Uh, it I laughed all the way through it. So if you can find this one, check it out. So, um, all right. What are we doing next week? That's probably what you guys are wondering. Uh, let's, let's do one I've had on my list, my huge list of films that who knows if I'll live long enough to get through it all. But, um, let's do, let's do a Clint Eastwood film. I haven't done a Clint Eastwood film yet. Have a, if you're sitting there thinking, really, you're doing a Clint Eastwood film? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, in fact, you know what? Clint Eastwood and it's Lee Marvin, two of the uh, toughest men in uh, cinematic history. Uh, you know, both known for playing your know, tough guys. Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood especially. Uh, Lee Marvin, you know, always you know, good uh, tough guy in most of his films. Uh, also did some comedy. You know, in like Flint is one I'm going to be covering at some point. It's a, a nice little Austin Powers. Well, you could say it's, it's an inspiration for Austin Powers. It was a parody of the james bond films and uh, lee marvin's in it it's kind of a silly little film but i loved it uh but yeah let's talk lee marvin uh let's talk clint eastwood together in a film and of course you know with these two it's got to be a western uh so why am i covering it well because it's also a musical so yeah we're going to be talking about uh, the only film i can think of where Clint Eastwood sings, and uh, if you're wondering, uh, you're wondering uh, about the quality of Clint Eastwood singing. Let me tell you, he's a fine actor. So, <laughs> join us uh, next week for uh, episode 48, and uh, we're going to be talking about 1969's "Paint Your Wagon." Uh, as always, if you liked what you heard, tell a friend. If you didn't, tell an enemy. Uh, you know, find us on Twitter, uh, TikTok, Instagram, either at uh, as a C Fever Dreams or Celluloid Fever Dreams. It can be a lot of things in life. One of the best things you can be is kind, especially to yourself. Take care of yourself. Uh, I hope to see you again next week. You know, as always, I've got a seat waiting for you. But until then, I have been Wyndham Jennings. This has been Celluloid Fever Dreams. And until next week. Bye, Betamaxers.